Welcome to the Chaos Plan, where the odds may not always be in your favor. Thank you for joining us for another episode. As always, we would like to thank Adrian Sanabria for the intro music of the Chaos Plan, and the in-game music was brought to you by TabletopAudio.com. If you have any questions about what we're doing and how we come up with the rules, maps, places, anything like that, check out our website, www.TheAdventuringGuild.com, and click on the Chaos Plan tab up at the top. This will also give rules on character creation and how you can join the show. To join, just visit our Patreon page and donate $1 a month to get in on these games. The more people we have, the more games we can run because schedules will line up better. And by joining, you are guaranteed a spot in this campaign. We will be running lots of different groups through, hopefully very soon, and since we're keeping it on an active timeline, we should be able to keep everybody managed as far as who is playing where and when. If you are unable to join but enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review as that is how we will be able to get in front of more people and have more wonderful, talented people join the show. And please feel free to share any of our posts on your social media of choice. We are on Facebook and Twitter. For both of those, just search for The Adventuring Guild and we'll pop up one way or another. So thank you very much and we hope you enjoy the show. Thank you once again for joining us for another episode of The Chaos Plan. This week we have a new individual with us who will be uh, taking on the mantle of adventure as Kor. Kor is going to be the first individual joining us who is not originally from the Elemental Island. So I am really looking forward to introducing you to a little bit of a teaser as to what is going on on the quote-unquote mainland of Arcanum. So go ahead and Will, tell us about your character Kor. Hey, thanks a lot, Bob. I'm happy to be here. Um, well, first off, Core is a the homebrew race of the Hill Goliath. He is a Hexblade Warlock, but not by choice. Uh, the thing about Core is that he grew up very happy over his younger years. He spent about 18 years of his life um, traveling with his clan. They're a nomadic clan. They go up and over the mountains during the summer and winter on the coast, stuff like that. One day, uh, after he married and had a child, he found his eight-year-old daughter with this glowing red crystal that was obviously enthralling her and talked about getting souls and feeding souls to the crystal. He wrestled the crystal from her decided that he needed to get rid of it, so he left his family. He was ambushed by bandits, so on and so forth. He can't go back to his family until he gets rid of the crystal. So that's pretty much the short, sweet, to the point version of Core. And yeah, he's got a few tattoos on him, that like magic tattoos that help him out with his stats and stuff like that. And yeah, that's pretty much the long and short of it. All right, we will go ahead and then get started. So where we are beginning, you are in the mountains. You've been uh, wandering towards the coast. 
this magic crystal has been driving you for some unknown reason south, uh, towards the town of Roseboro. You don't know 100% why it is driving you that direction, just that it is. So you are in the hills north of that area, and uh, it's very hilly, obviously, very mountainous as you're coming down, uh, going from steep and jagged mountains that you're used to into more rolling hills, uh, skirting the edge in between the forest and the plains on either side of the mountain range. You approach the town. It isn't a very large town consisting of only about, I don't know, 10, 12 buildings at the most, but you do know that it is famous for a very large inn. Uh, It is a very upscale, upper-class inn called the Roseboro Inn, and uh, it is it caters only to the most wealthy of patrons. Uh, you would also have a small familiarity with the Ring of Brodger there, which is kind of like a modern world Stonehenge mysterious kind of a place. Okay. Yeah, he probably would know a little bit of something about that. Yeah, go ahead and roll me a history check if you want for a little bit of inside knowledge about Roseboro. Um, just a quick question about Roseboro. Is this a, uh, is this a bigger city or is it more like village or a town? Smaller town. Like I said, there's only about 12 buildings there, but with that very large inn, it kind of depends on how many people are there. You know, the city population will swell and stuff depending on how busy the inn is. Right. Okay. Let me roll that real quick. Uh, that's going to be a 13 history. Okay, a 13. Uh, You would know from either stories of different clansmen that have traded uh, with folks from here or possibly hearing it, uh, stories about Roseboro, you know, along the line. You would know that there is a very strange ring of stones on the east end of town uh, called the Ring of Brodger that has uh, kind of a weird feeling about it. Nobody's quite sure what it was there for, but it has always been there. You would also know that the Roseboro Inn is a very, like I said, well-to-do establishment consisting, it's one of the largest buildings that you're going to find for hundreds of miles, uh, consisting of three floors with several smaller, like, towers, not not quite towers, but like a, uh, like a attic-type room, but with a 360-degree view uh, balcony kind of a thing on the top of it. And you would also know that there is a very large uh, smithy and general store in this place. It is also the only place anywhere nearby to uh, catch a boat going anywhere. It's one of the main ports of Arcanum. Okay. I think Core would be really hesitant about approaching uh, with his nomadic heritage, you know, like they never really went to many towns. You know, like he he doesn't really approve of technology, so by and large, they tended to avoid civilization unless they had to. You know, maybe they would have gone into town to get supplies they couldn't find in the wild here and there. Core uh, is extremely hesitant about going into town, but that being said, he does know that if he's going to find any answers about, you know, this crystal, he's probably going to have to go into civilization and talk to somebody. So, I'm not really sure which way he'd be coming in from, 
I think he might uh, just try and slip in as casually as he can, being a seven and a half foot Goliath. But yeah, he'll probably, after all he's been through, make his first stop at the tavern. Okay. As you enter into town, um, you'd be coming in to be as non-conspicuous as possible. You kind of would have gone out of your way just a little bit and stepped onto the main road that enters the town from the west. So uh, you enter in from the west, and as you walk along, you notice there is a smithy to the north end of town and that very large, uh, it's called the Roseboro Gift Shop, but it's actually a very well-stocked, large general store. Um, You would know that the main... I guess, tavern would be within the inn itself. Uh, They do have a very large and well-stocked bar. So you would be able to enter into the main doors of that inn, and uh, right on the left-hand side, you would see a door opening up into a very large bar-slash-tavern area. Uh, There is a the bartender. um, You would hear somebody shout his name. Uh, His name would be Frederick as one of the other patrons calls his name and kind of gestures for another ale. Frederick pours it from several large casks behind the bar before sliding it down the bar to the patron. All right. Well, I think he's going to probably find the least crowded space on the bar, go up and order a drink, and then find a uh, empty table to sit down and just kind of survey everything for a little bit. Okay, yeah, you're able to find, uh, you're able to get the, um, the mug of ale for, uh, two copper pieces, uh, because it is a kind of an upscale establishment. It's a little bit more expensive than normal. Uh, so for two copper pieces, or, yeah, two copper pieces, you're able to get the, um, mug of ale or mead, and you find a table kind of in the next room. Uh, there is, it's set up into kind of two basic rooms. Uh, off the hallway, and there are several long tables in the second room. So you're able to find kind of a quieter corner with a table and sit down and kind of observe everything with your back to a wall so nobody can really get behind you. Um, As you look around, the bar is fairly crowded. uh, Considering the size of the town, there's about as many patrons here in the inn as there are uh, people inhabiting this location. So there's uh, 10 or 12 other people within the room, including Frederick. Okay. Um, I think he's trying to look around for anybody that looks of a seafaring nature that might be willing to uh, barter for passage on their boat in Elemental Isle. Uh, can I make a perception check? Yeah, go ahead. And actually give me an insight check um, to see who seems to be legit as opposed to, you know, pirate or whatnot. Okay. Um, Do you want me to roll both or just one? You'd be able to tell just commonly uh, who would be seafaring, so you don't need to do the perception. Just insight to see who's the more savory. Sounds good. That is a three. Okay. Um, There, yeah... There are uh, three tables that are occupied with uh, individuals that smell of the sea, that, you know, look like they're more of the seafaring individual. And you can't really decide which would be your best choice. Uh, So you kind of approach the first one. This gentleman is a very 
He's a very gangly individual, long limbs. Uh, you don't think he's whole human, half human of some variety. And he has really long, stringy hair. Uh, long, black, stringy hair that goes down to about the middle of his back. And he's sitting at a bar, and he's kind of leaning over his ale. And he's looking very introspective about himself. You approach him, and as you get within about 12 feet, 10, 12 feet of his chair, you see that he pulls out a strange-looking cylindrical device with a, a wooden handle on the end of it. You may have seen them before, uh, firearms, but you wouldn't be super familiar with them. But he kind of slides it out your direction and says, That'll be all the closer you need to get. What's the matter? Are you scared? I'm not scared. I just don't like people getting too close. Once they get within range to start swinging, you've got trouble. What do you need? I simply need passage through the element's aisles. I could probably find somebody that would be willing to take you. Uh, you look like you're of adequate size and stature to be able to help us out on the boat, so I don't think we'll be charging you much unless you're not willing to put your back into this trip. Well, hard work, something I'm not used to. Good, I'm glad to hear it. Now, before we let you onto the ship, you'll have to help us load her up. Uh, you see, there's a whole bunch of crates on the uh, dock there that are just waiting to be loaded into the boat, but... Because you're the new guy, I'm going to go ahead and let you load them by yourself. You know, you gotta got to earn your keep before, you, before you're able to join us. So why don't you come back tonight, let's say about 3 a.m., and just throw those casks and boxes up onto the ship there, and we'll be taking off at first sun at 5 o'clock. Uh, so what do you say? Go ahead and roll me an insight check. Okay. Uh, that's another three. <laughs> another three. You, you don't exactly think he's probably the most fair individual in the world, but, you know, eh, you're, you're earning your wage, you know? What, what are you going to do? Um, well, I'm going to kind of just stare at him for a second, and I'm going to pick up a bowl of peanuts from the bar, pour out the peanuts, and take a bite out of the bowl and chew it up. All right, go ahead and roll me an intimidation check with that. Nat 20. <laughs> okay. He's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, fine. You just, you know, we won't make you load the boxes. That's fine. Just show up at five. Uh, you'll you'll help us on the sea. I want once once we set sail. That's that's fine. You know, just don't, don't don't do that on the boat. What we've got is all we've got. Don't eat the stuff. Listen, I don't mind hurting my wife. But telling me to show up in the middle of the night and do all the work myself, I'm willing to pay for passage. Like, I, that's fine. But I feel like you're kind of trying to take advantage of me here, and I'm not interested. You see him scratch the back of his neck, and and he kind of looks up at you and kind of looks down. He's like, eh, just like I said, just show up in the morning. You can do your share of work there. Just don't mention the boxes and the barrels to anybody else, okay? You don't mention them. We'll call it even until we set sail. Once we set sail, I'll put you to work doing something like any other sailor would. Okay. I uh, extend my hand to shake it. All right. He uh, kind of looks down at the size of your hand and 
And uh, you see he's kind of like not going to clench your hand, but he's like getting ready for you to like squish his hand into goo as he like gingerly reaches it out. I give him a very intense look and then just shake his hand. (laughs) Okay, you can see the the one or two drops of sweat fall off of his brow as you shake and then uh, you let go and he looks at his hand, um, you know, surprised that it's even still attached. I'll see you in the morning, Fred. All right, you're able to uh, work out a deal with the bartender. Uh, if you carry in some uh, cords of wood for the hearth and whatnot, he'll give you a room for two silver pieces a night, which you see is, like, not even a quarter of what it normally costs to stay here. Uh, this is a very, you know, well-priced establishment. But you're able to uh, negotiate that price, and so after spending an hour and a half or so, uh, carrying in wood and, and getting you know helping get stuff organized, uh, you're able to secure lodging for the night. I'm going to go ahead and say that it's about 7 or 8 in the evening, so you could still spend some time down in the bar or wander around town before calling it uh, a night. What would you like to do? Um, I think he just finishes drink and goes up to his room. All right. You uh, head up to your room. Uh, it isn't a... It isn't the nicest room in the house, but this is an actual feather mattress. Uh, the furniture here is of actual, you know, handcrafted uh, nature. It isn't just kind of ramshackle thrown together. This is like, you know, carved wood. There's a real silver-plated mirror. I mean, this is a very nice establishment compared to a lot of the places that you would expect to find around here. Uh, So after uh, you get up to your room and inspect it, make sure everything's good to go, uh, are you going to go ahead and just call it a night? Yeah, he walks into his room and kind of looks around for a second, goes over to the bed, sits out on it, tries to, testing it out a little bit. It's just way too soft for him. You know, he's used to the wilderness, and so he just takes the blanket, curls up on the floor, Okay, yeah, I was going to say, as you sit down on the bed, you kind of lay down, seeing if you can get comfortable. And uh, due to your height, the end of the bed hits about the lower calf, uh, you know, about your lower calf or so. So, uh, yeah, you're probably better off sleeping on the floor. I am seven foot eight, so. Yeah, that that would do it. (laughs) All right, so you're able then to kind of curl up on the floor. Go ahead and roll me a D6 as you slowly drift off into sleep. That's a six. A six. All right. As you drift off into sleep, you hear in your voice that same, I guess, voice that you hear from the crystal that you got. It's calling to you in your head. It is saying, souls, I need souls. Souls, get them for me. And and as you startle awake, you are actually standing right at the door to your room, having your hand on the door handle, getting ready to open it. There is, you know, sweat on your brow, and your face feels flushed. You see, as you look down at your hands, every single vein is absolutely just popped, and you've almost, you know, you you unclench your fists, and you see where your fingernails almost cut your palms. You have them clenched so tightly and you're standing right in front of your door of your your room like you were getting ready to charge out of it. Uh, and this would be maybe an hour and a half or two hours after you fell asleep. Like, you can still hear people in the common room downstairs. 
you know, talking and chatting and laughing and stuff. So it's not yet time for people to completely pass out. But um, you wake up with that that bloodlust about you. All right. Are you just going to turn back in for the night and hope nothing happens? Yeah, I think that's what he would do. All right. You then turn in for the night and... Uh, the rest of the night passes fairly uneventfully. Uh, you wake up a little bit sore still in your arms and hands from when you were clenching your fists so tightly, but you are able to wake up without a problem. Uh, you head down to the common room. There is uh, all sorts of strange breakfast things there that you aren't used to, but you are able to find a thick slab of bacon and whatnot, uh, as well as some hard tack type bread that you are able to take advantage of before leaving. Uh, is there anything else you would like to do before uh, departing Rosenboro? It would be a uh, Roseboro. It would be about uh, an hour or so before you would have to hop on the ship. Uh, I think he's just going to go uh, straight to the ship. All right. You uh, make your way down to the docks, and uh, you notice that the you, you find the same gangly, stringy-haired-looking individual uh, standing on a ship. It definitely is not a well-kept ship. This has been probably on the verge of sinking simply from deterioration for years. But uh, you see him standing on that ship, and the barrels and crates that he was talking about appear to be uh, being loaded on the ship next door to his. He kind of looks at you and looks down at the crates being loaded on the other boat and uh, just kind of turns his head and walks down into the uh, under part, into the uh, uh, cabin, uh, out of sight of you and the deck. Okay, well, I think, you know, he's fairly confused by this, but not knowing any better, I think he just starts helping load the crates to the other ship. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you start, you pick up a box and start carrying it, and you see the other people about ready to protest, but um, since they're all, you know, six foot max, uh, they don't say anything and let you, you know, put one crate under each arm, you know, and carry them up the gangplank as they're, you know, one at a time or, you know, team lifting to get some of the other ones. So after about uh, 20, 30 minutes of this, you've uh, made a couple of new friends uh, and intimidated plenty of other sailors. Uh, before heading on to your appropriate ship. Go ahead, you're going to get a point of inspiration for that, so go ahead and just mark that on the sheet, because uh, that's that's awesome. <laughs> all right. So you get back onto the ship, and you see that they're all kind of laughing at you for, uh, you know, helping out the other crew, and you notice... Um, go ahead and actually roll me an insight check as you get onto the deck of the ship. Well... That's a four. A four. Oh, my goodness. He's not insightful. No, not at all. Uh, so you are able to tell that the people around you seem to be, we'll call them down on their luck. Um, they are not what you would call, if you were to walk through the streets of a town, you would picture these people as being the kind of folks that have been thrown in jail uh, or spent more nights in jail than they have at home. Uh, they're a rough looking crew. So you're starting to get kind of a not great feeling about them, but you're not able to, you know, really place anything else about them. Just that you're getting kind of a on the wrong side of lawful um, feeling about them. Okay. He's just, for the most part, trying to mind his own business. But if anybody comes up and starts something, well, 
Yeah. So you uh, begin kind of looking around. You uh, end up finding the captain. Uh, he introduces himself as, because I never named him. Let's see. We will call him Mannix. Mannix is his name. Uh, and he says that, uh, so since you're here, go ahead and uh, you look big enough. Uh, we'll put you on the ropes here. And, you know, when we tell you to pull, just pull. You, know, you don't have to think. Just do you know, you'll, you'll be fine. Just put your back into it. But I swear to... Uh, let's see. I haven't named the god of the sea, have I? So we'll just go ahead and call it Poseidon for right now. I swear to Poseidon, I will throw you overboard if you break one of these ropes. So, tell me what the deal with loading your cargo to the other ship. Uh... Don't worry about it. it. It looks like you've got more brains in your arms than you do in your head. So we'll go ahead and just, you know, don't, don't worry about it. He 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 bought it from me very last minute. And I'm like, you know, you drive a hard bargain. But since my help isn't wanting to lift these boxes, you can have it at a, at a really good price. Go ahead and roll me another insight check with that. Seven. Okay, so you're you're pretty sure that you know he's not being one hundred percent truthful, but you can't pick out what parts. You've got a pretty good under idea just by common sense, but you don't know how much of that is necessarily true. Um, But they, uh, you end up, you see, they start throwing ropes uh, off the dock onto the ship and uh, unfurling the sails, and they begin setting out from Roseboro towards uh, the Elemental Islands. You would know that this would not be a short journey by any means. We're talking more than a month or two at sea, uh, depending on weather. So we will go ahead and uh, very travel montage uh, wrap this up fairly quickly. So for the first week, we're going to go ahead and say that with the weather um, and how far you are actually traveling... Because you have to go around the mana storm and all this other kind of stuff. We're going to say that it is going to take seven weeks to get to uh, the Elemental Islands and to Port City. So what would you like to try and accomplish in week one? You're still fairly new to your powers. Uh, the individuals on this ship are not exactly the uh, most lawful individuals in the world. But, you know, you might find one or two that aren't bad apples. Um, and there's the whole ship to explore as well as sea life and all sorts of other strange things to see. Well, I think that uh, the only time he's ever used his powers just kind of came about. He didn't have any control over it. So I think he's going to try and just stand along the rail of the ship facing out towards sea and just try and figure out how to cast spells. Okay. So what spells would you attempt to cast? Well, in classic Warlock fashion, that's going to be an Eldritch Blast. (laughs) Is there another spell that Warlocks cast? (laughs) Well, you know, I've got a few. (laughs) Okay, you, uh, as uh, other sailors are just kind of throwing random bits of debris and stuff off the ship, uh, you try to line up, and what is your focus item? Is it the crystal itself, or I think you mentioned a sword? Uh, the crystal uh, actually, like, more 
into a sword, but essentially the focus is the crystal. Okay, and would this crystal be set in the pommel, in the hilt, or would the sword be all made of crystal, kind of as if it stretched out? It's in the hilt, right in the center between the crossbow. All right, uh, you begin focusing and channeling all of your energy and and mental acuity into this uh, this je- or this crystal in the center of it. And as you are pushing your thoughts and your power through your arm and into it, you feel that bloodlust to begin to take over. You feel that that just rage, that mindless wanting to hurt, and you pull back on that, not wanting to lose control. But you swing your sword out, kind of pointing at one of the, uh, we'll call it bits of moldy bread that one of the sailors is throwing off the side. You point at that chunk of bread, and a blast of energy rockets out from this weapon and strikes it, disintegrating that piece of bread. The sailor looks down at you extremely confused, but um, he's, he's, you know, appreciative and kind of nods at you and uh, tries to make a game out of it with you. So go ahead and um, would you take part in this game? Oh, yeah. I think he's digging this. Like, just the fact that he actually, you know, consciously cast this, I think he's going to want to keep doing it. This is kind of fun for it. All right, go ahead and roll a uh, spell attack roll. Okay. 19. 19, all right. As he throws these chunks of bread off, you are just bam, 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 striking each one of them without a problem. Uh, he, he, you know, you end up getting a bit of camaraderie there, and eventually you get bets going around of other sailors that uh, are trying to see what you're doing and uh, taking bets on how many uh, hits you'll be able to make in a row. Uh, go ahead and roll me a d10. Uh, that's a nine. A nine. You got nine silver pieces uh, as your share of the pool for knocking those bits of bread uh, out of the air. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, so you knock all those nine bits of bread out of the air, um, the sailors clap and whatnot. Uh, you're pretty exhausted at this point, having, you know, that being the most amount of magic you've ever used at once. And uh, it kind of breaks up as the uh, stringy-haired captain uh, comes up and yells at everybody for slacking off. And and uh, you got to be ready if you never know what's going to be on the horizon. And everybody gets back to work and everything kind of breaks up. Other than that, the first week you learn a lot about sailing, um, simply from having to be on the ship and everything. So go ahead and roll me an intelligence check. Okay. You may not believe this, but intelligence, not for a strong point. (laughs) No way. Well, it's 11. 11. You went ahead and you were going to get three days of proficiency training in water vehicles. Simply from stuff that you have picked up. So somewhere on your sheet, mark down water vehicles, or vehicles, you know, water, uh, three days of training. So then second week rolls around, and the weather isn't nearly as nice. Uh, There are quite a few storms, there are quite a few, uh, like, either the the wind is either blowing too strong in one direction, and they have to to, uh, uh, roll up the sails in order to keep the sails from, you know, pulling the mast down and all of that kind of stuff, or it's completely dead. Nothing. Uh, So it's been a very crazy week this week. What would you like to try try and accomplish this week? 
I think for this week, what he's going to want to do is probably just uh, try and get to know some of the crew members as he's working and whatnot. Okay. Uh, would you be talking to them mostly while working, or would you be talking to them uh, on their leisure time more? Uh, probably during work. Okay. And would you be talking to the ones that seem to be working the hardest, or uh, ones that are doing a specific duty, or how, how would you determine who you talk to? Definitely the ones that are working. All right. You see a... You see an Aquian elf. So uh, you see an elf, but rather than the typical long, pointed fantasy ears, these look more like gills, almost like fins, almost, uh, for ears. And you see that this individual appears to be a ship's mage of some variety. So as opposed to somebody that is big and burly and salty and, and... has a parrot and a pointed hat, an eye patch. Uh, this individual wears more soft leathers, uh, maybe a cloak or a robe over it, and appears to be mostly dealing with divination and navigation, consulting not only the stars, but also strange scrying type things. And they appear to always be doing something. While a lot of the other sailors, you know, after an hour or so when the captain gets bored of watching them, and disappears into the cab, and they start to slack off. They play dice, they play uh, other card games, or, you know, fight, or, you know, just horse around. This ship's mage appears to always be doing something. So, when would you approach him? Um, well, I would probably approach him when he's going between one thing and another, you know, like those few seconds of downtime. Okay. I'm not trying to interrupt what he's doing. More like trying to uh, approach and help with whatever he's doing. Okay, yeah. You notice that he carries around a very large, not a, a bowl necessarily, but think like an outdoor like fire pit. Uh, a very large brazier almost that uh, he collects salt water in and casts his crying spells. And normally he has two or three other guys end up helping him with that. But you see that they're slacking off and he's not able to get their attention. So he's trying to drag this large brazier uh, back inside after completing whatever ritual he was doing. You see him struggling with it. You go over and help him kind of lift it and carry it inside. Uh, After you do that, he says, oh, well, thank you very, very much. I I don't think I've had a chance to to, uh, meet you. Uh, My name is is Linwood. My name is uh, Linwood. Uh, w- what is yours? Core. Oh, it's wonderful to meet you, Core. Uh, what what brings you out here? Uh, I passage on this vessel to the Elemental Isles in search of knowledge regarding the magic item. Oh, well, that's very interesting. You can see his shoulders, like, slump a little bit, uh, almost in relaxation. Uh, he was a little bit worried, you think, that you might have been like a bandit or a thug like most of the other crew. Uh, so you see he visibly relaxes when you say you're actually there for a, uh, a lawful reason, for lack of a better term. Uh, and he says, so uh, why are you headed to the Elemental Islands? I myself have been to uh, Port City many times, the Central Mages Guild is located there, and it is a fantastically large town. Um, just a quick side note here, Bob. Uh, Kor does know the languages of primordial speak, 
You said this was an Aquian elf. Does he speak the Aquian primordial language? Yes, he would. Okay. And then he's gonna, Cora's kind of gonna, like, look over both the shoulders, make sure, like, nobody is directly within earshot, but he's going to reach into his pocket and pull out the crystal and say in Aquian, uh, this crystal has given me great power. It's more of a curse. I wish to be rid of it. Seek knowledge and destroy it. Okay, you see his eyes get huge uh, when you say that, and he definitely looks around as well, uh, and he says, Shh, no more here. Uh, come below deck and, uh, or, uh, come up above deck and meet me out here at night uh, when the rest of the crew is asleep, and we'll talk more about this. Uh, don't bring up bad luck or evil items or anything like that. These sailors are extremely superstitious. And if that kind of thing was brought aboard, they'll toss you overboard. I'm I'm not even joking about that. That will happen. So uh, meet me here tonight after everybody goes out, and uh, I'll I'll inspect the crystal, and I'll see what I can do to help you. But just note, I'm not exactly what you'd call a mage. I I just do water really, really well. Okay. He puts the crystal back in the pocket. And then slaps him on the back just a little too hard, but I'm straight. <laughs> okay, uh, he st- he has to take like not just one step forward to catch his balance, but like two or three steps forward to catch his balance. And oh, uh, I'm so sorry. I I, I did. I, thank thank. I appreciate. That. Yeah, he he just shakes his head. He's like, no problem, no problem at all. It happens all the time. And uh, he kind of departs then. Uh, looking around, you know, very conspicuously. You can tell that this guy is definitely not, you know, a stealth-oriented individual. He's craning everywhere to make sure that nobody heard that conversation as he uh, retreats down below deck. So then do you just kind of spend the rest of the day ho-humming around waiting for nightfall? Yeah, doing, you know, normal ship duties, swabbing the poop deck. (laughs) It's a crappy job, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So uh, you wait for evening to hit, and uh, once night falls uh, and the sea is calm, everybody kind of goes below deck other than those that absolutely have to be on top. And uh, you see that the ship mage is already waiting for you when you come up from below deck, and you see him kind of wave you over. He has in his hand a, a wand of some variety, or at least what you suspect to be a wand. Uh, it's a length of some sort of metal, uh, not black, but very dark colored, and appears to have some sort of quartz-looking clear crystal on the top of it. Okay. Uh, you approach him, and he says, uh, All right, we'll make this quick. Uh, and he's speaking in Aquian, so only you two can hear or understand. All right, so... Uh, We'll make this quick. Just hold the crystal. I don't dare touch it, not knowing what magic resides within it. But I will cast an identify spell on it, and we'll see what happens. Okay. He uh, reaches to his pocket, pulls the crystal out, holds it outstretched in the palm of his hand. He casts the spell upon it, and all of a sudden, a strange flash of light erupts, and you get that that bloodlust throbbing in your head in your head like you just want to break and uh, the mage lets out a bit of a shriek and jumps back 
Um, after that happens, it's just a flash and everything goes back to normal. Uh, he's looking around, spinning almost in circles, trying to make sure nobody saw that. Uh, and other than some comment from a drunken uh, sailor on the deck itself that's still kind of stumbling around, uh, they basically just shout, Oh, the mage is up to maging again. <laughs> and just, you know, beside, or completely trashed at this point. Uh, he just kind of waddles off. And uh, the mage leans in and he says, I'm not going to do that again. Uh, but just so you know, I don't even know what is linked to this crystal. Just that it appears to be some sort of conduit. Uh, it, it, it is channeling magic into you, um, but I don't know who it's connected to, how it functions, uh, even all of its abilities other than to take the forms of these different weapons. Uh, that's that's all I can tell you, but if you go to the Mages Guild in Port City, there are, are wizards there that are as old as the islands themselves. They, they surely would know something about it. Can they tell me how to destroy it? I, I honestly don't know. I can't even tell you what the crystal is actually made of, what kind of crystal it is. It, it appears to be protected by something that's that's much more powerful than I could ever hope to be. Thank you. I, I won't bother to appreciate your help. Oh, not not a problem at all. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know if I need help carrying the brazier again. Uh, but, but good luck. I, I hope you're able to figure out uh, what you need to. Nobody should be should be shackled by spirits of whatever that is. Core looks at him and just kind of, you know, nods slowly, turns and walks away a few steps, pulls the crystal back out of his pocket, looks at it, and just like with a deep sigh, closes his fist, puts it back in his pocket, goes back to his bunk. Yeah, as you pulled it out and looked into it, you got that very anime or video game, that whole like pulse in your head, that the thump. And that, that feeling of bloodlust, but uh, it, it very quickly dissipated. Okay. All right. So then we are on to week three. Week three ends up being a lot more interesting than uh, you would first expect it. Uh, you would know that just from talking from the other crew members that traffic, ship traffic between the elemental islands and the mainland, quote unquote, is not a very common thing. Uh, you would know that most of the ships that come and go are, uh, like, very large. Think, like, villages that you have seen would fit two or three of them on some of these ships. Just very large commercial barges in a medieval time, for lack of a better term. Uh, so, you hear the crew mumbling about something that they saw on the horizon. And after some investigating, you're able to find out that they have seen on the horizon one of these very large barges. And uh, you're getting a little bit of a worried, or you're getting a little bit worried at their expressions and at the captain's all of a sudden excitement as uh, your ship begins setting course for this large barge. He goes to uh, the nearest crew member and says, Hey. What's going on? The crew member responds with, Well, you see, we don't actually get paid by the captain up there. He's too much of a cheap ass for that. We have to earn our wages, if you know what I mean. And this barge has got enough to make us rich men for life. 
The only catch is we've got to get it before somebody else does. What do you get it? Well, you see, you never know what's on these things. It could be wagons. It could be food. It could be swords. It could be mages and all of their magical things. You never know. We jump on board, we grab what we can, we get back, and we set off. You're talking about stealing. Well, more like acquiring. Stealing is a harsh word. I don't like this. Where's the captain? Oh, the captain? He's the one sharpening blades now. He'll be the first on board. He gets the first pick of everything. Kor immediately turns around and leaves to go find the captain. All right. Uh, true to his word, or true to the crew member's word, you see him up, um, kind of on the bow, and he is not necessarily sharpening his blades, but more like running a cloth over them. You can tell that they are very well used, lots of nicks, lots of, of, not cracks, but, you know, you can tell that these blades are not new blades by any means, and he's kind of wiping them off with a, uh, rag that he has found somewhere, and he's got the biggest grin that you have ever seen on his face, and it is a disgusting-looking grin full of lust and greed. He walked up to him and not very nicely asked, What the hell is going on? Oh, well, you see, we're... Now that we're here in the ship and there's not a whole lot you can do about it, uh, we aren't exactly your typical passenger vessel. We are a special kind of merchant ship where we set off without merchandise, and when we get to port, we have merchandise. We just have to acquire it along the way. So here's what we're going to do. You can either help and earn your wages, and you'll get a fair cut of whatever you bring back, or we can lock you up below and... Hopefully you won't end up swimming. I already paid my way. Captain, we are not stealing from that barge. Okay, we is a very suggestive term because we indicates that there's more than one of you. But see, everybody else on the ship knows what we're doing. Well, almost everybody. There's a couple of goody goodies that aren't going to take part. But you know, they've got their own uses. So, I like you. You're a big guy. You've been able to help us out. I won't throw you overboard for challenging me. Just stay out of the way and you don't have to take part. That's all you have to do. Core at this point, is kind of like looking around at the other crew members. He hasn't been speaking softly. Is anybody, like, noticing this conversation? Oh, yeah. A lot of people are taking note and a lot of them are looking at you. But you can tell that this isn't a new thing. Like... They've obviously dealt with a lot of quote-unquote new crew that is on the lawful side of lawful. Uh, So they're not surprised by this conversation. Um, But you do see a couple of them looking to some chains uh, on the side of the ship, kind of hung up and and looking at you and and starting to try and figure out how many uh, people it will take to chain you up and drag you below. I've got a better idea. Why don't we let them go? And I won't crush your throat right here. Uh, well, you see, that's the kind of thing I like to call a threat. And and you see, hear him all of a sudden shout, I don't take threats kindly, boy. And you go ahead and make me a dexterity saving throw. D20, don't fail me now. 
That's a 17. A 17. You are able to just jump back out of the way. This dart comes flying at you from somewhere else on the deck. And uh, you can tell just by the feathers on it when it sticks into the mast right next to you that it is definitely a poison dart of some variety. Looking around, you see the captain not only has two blades out, but you see eight or nine other individuals, all with blades. And you also see several individuals with what appears to be crossbows or blowguns, all trained upon you. The captain says, all right, now here's what we're going to do. You're either going to take your medicine and go below deck unwillingly, or you can walk down there yourself. What's it going to be? I take the dart that's stuck in the wood, and I jam it into my neck. Okay. All of a sudden... it has no effect because I'm immune to poison. (laughs) Ooh, you're totally immune. I make it intimidation. Okay. And are you actually totally immune? Yeah. Wow, that's... That is fantastic. All right, go ahead and do the intimidation check. Intimidation. That is 23. 23. You see the captain is definitely, like, he's not even afraid. He is so shocked at what happened. There's just this, like, blank look on his face. You see of the, let's call them 14 or 15 people that are now up on deck looking at you, about six or seven of them are all super like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, the rest of them do still think they have a shot at taking you. So there's currently about six or seven individuals that um, all look like they're about ready to jump you. And all of a sudden, you see your friend Linwood come running up from below deck. And he shouts... Uh, at everybody, calm down, calm down, let the mage handle this. And uh, you can see that he's obviously got some sort of strange spell about him because even though there's no wind, like his robes are billowing about him. And he points at you and you hear the strange string of mumbo jumbo. And then all of a sudden in Aquian in the middle, you hear lay down and pretend to fall asleep. And then a giant string of mumbo jumbo again as sparks start flying from his hands. Uh, hand on head, Kor was like totally ready to throw down too, but I think he's smart enough to know that him versus seven or eight people is probably not going to go in his favor, so he'll play longer for now. Okay, you fall to the ground with a thump? Yeah, yeah, um, but it's more like he dramatically just like you know, lays down consciously <laughs> rather than, you know, passes out. Uh, not quite sure what to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, you got me. Uh, uh, uh. Okay. You, you see that um, uh, several of the other crew start looking around at this mage and you hear one of them bump the other one in the side and be like, holy crap, I didn't think you could actually do anything. We're going to have to stop messing with them so much. And uh, uh, he, the the mage, Linwood, kind of puts his hand on his hips and says, I have brought down this foe. Don't worry, I shall secure him now. And uh, all of a sudden you feel a a disc. All of a sudden, or you start to raise up as this invisible disc picks you up and begins following Linwood down below deck. And uh, you end up going kind of 
far back to where all the cargo uh, would be held, and he starts knocking on walls. And all of a sudden, you hear a hollow knock. And he kind of pushes one of the boards in, and it opens up, and a little smuggling compartment opens. Uh, he has the disc float in there, and then follows you in, and uh, shuts it behind him. He whispers to you in Aquian, Okay, I know that this isn't exactly the best situation, but uh, I, I, I couldn't let you just die out there. So, I am actually here to prevent these guys from attacking anybody else. The Mages Guild sent me to infiltrate this ship and and figure out who has been attacking merchants along this way. Uh, so, I think we can warn the merchant vessel, but you have to play along. Between the two of us, we could take them off. No, no, actually, I can't. Um, that was my last spell slot. So, I'm out for the next 24 hours, and we'll be at the ship in like, like three hours. So, uh, sorry, I, I really knew this was a spell slot. <laughs> I mean, um, my magic is almost drained. I, I, I seriously need a nap or something before I'm going to be able to do anything again. Uh, I hate magic. Fine. Okay, so my plan is there's a rowboat that they have attached to the back in one of these smuggling compartments that kind of falls out of some boards that look like they're going to fall off on the outside. It's an emergency escape for the captain. So what we're going to do is we're going to wait until we're really close to the ship, and then I'm going to set up some sparks, because that's all I can do is just just harmless sparks. Um, I'm going to pretend to put the entire vessel next door to sleep, but I'm going to tell everybody it's going to take 10 minutes to do. What I need you to do is go out through this rowboat, get on the ship, and warn everybody before the 10 minutes is up and they climb on board, okay? Do you think you can do that for me? Yeah, but then we still get to kill the captain, right? Sort of. Um, I'll get back to you on that, but if he happens to stumble and fall on your sword, I'm not going to be crying about it. <laughs> I like I like you, little mage man. Just don't tell anybody I said that. I'm supposed to do this non-violently. So, but, but you're right. He's a dick. <laughs> Warden the ship. Don't tell anybody. Got it. Yes. As soon as you hear me shout out, Behold my power! Launch from the smuggling compartment and get next door, okay? Get to the boat next door, go up to the cabin, and warn them. It's a long run because of how big this vessel is, but I know you can make it there in time. Okay, cool. Uh, one, two, three, break, right? Is that how that goes? Uh, sure. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, just pretend to be asleep until you hear me shout. Then go. Okay. Alright. Uh, I'm just sleeping now. <laughs> okay. Uh, he also hands you a red vial that you are able to identify, having seen them occasionally before as a health potion. Uh, he slips you one of those, and he says, just in case, and uh, immediately leaves, and says very loudly on the other side, Ah, the prisoner is locked in here by magical means. Should anybody try to open this door, they will be uh, electrocuted. Yeah. Core <laughs> hearing this, like, makes the, like, audible, cliche snoring noise, like... <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
Me, 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 me. <laughs> that is awesome. You you hear um, uh, just a snort from Lidwin on the other side, like he's trying not to laugh, and uh, walks up to the top of the ship, or walks back up onto the deck. Uh, after about another, about an hour and a half, uh, roughly to you, uh, you all of a sudden hear a lot of commotion on the ship. You can tell that you're getting close to the other boat as uh, the the footfalls went from, you know, just leisurely walking along to lots of running to lots of shouting orders. Uh, and after about another 10 or 15 minutes, you hear Linwood's voice raise above all the rest and shout out, Behold my power! This ship shall fall beneath the great and awesome power of Linwood the mage! And he said that very obviously louder than he possibly needed to. And uh, through the little slits of wood and whatnot, you can see bright, colorful sparks occasionally flying up above. Um, You are able to push on the backboards, and you find that there is, in fact, a rowboat right there, just like like Linwood said. Would you jump in and head over across to the next boat? Yeah, definitely. All right, go ahead and roll me a stealth check real quick as you go across to the other boat. Okay, well, let's see how this goes. (laughs) Well, back to the single digits, that's another three. (laughs) Another three. As you get about halfway across, you hear a shout from the boat that you're approaching that goes, They appear to be boarding! And all of a sudden, two arrows come streaking towards you. I need two dexterity saving throws. Okay. First one is a four. The second one is an 11. An 11. You uh, kind of lean back, and as you lean back, the arrow flies by you, but the boat begins to rock almost uncontrollably and nearly throws you. The second arrow thunks into the boat in front of you, but you are able to keep your balance enough to bump into the boat on the other side. It is very ungraceful, and you partially fall out of the boat, getting about from your waist down wet, kind of in in the water, as you grab hold of the side of the other ship, and you manage to pull yourself up onto the boat. Uh, You see on the other side that there are now six people, all with longswords, pointed towards you, uh, and they appear to be ready to run you through should you make any threatening gestures. Um, well, give me one second here. I'm going to cast a cantrip called Friends. And actually, Friends doesn't work on targets that are already hostile. Oh, bummer, because I had a really good dude for that. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll just rely on my persuasion skill, which isn't bad. Um, he's just gonna show up see all the longsword pointed at him just say, look they're trying to board you they're going to take everything you have I'm here to get you all off the boat okay would you reference Linwood uh, or that he was sent to stop this or anything like that or would you just say you know, trust me Uh, the uh, the Elven mage man. Uh, he's my friend. God, what was his name? Uh, 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 Lin- Linwood. Linwood. He told me to come help you. Alright, go ahead then and roll the persuasion check with advantage because you referenced his name. Ooh. Uh, non-nat 20. 
Oh, wow. Okay, they, they all kind of lower their swords a little bit. They're definitely wary of you because, I mean, let's be honest, you're like at least half a torso. Not a head taller, you're like half a torso. Like, yeah, I look like somebody that's going to rob Exactly. <laughs> so they, they are definitely um, a little bit worried at the sight of you, but uh, they, they believe you and, uh, you know, two of them following behind you, the rest leading in front and to the side. Uh, they take you up to where the captain is. And uh, do you repeat the same story to the captain? Yep. All right. He he definitely shakes his head and he's like, Oh, Lord. Uh, well, hopefully this will end up being better than what I had hoped. Uh, half of my crew has fallen ill uh, to some sort of strange disease. I, I don't know what... Uh, has taken them, but we are much understaffed compared to what we were when we left the the uh, or when we left Port City almost three weeks ago. Uh, so I do not know what we will be able to do. Uh, I, I I tell you what, uh, you're a, a fit looking individual, and this captain is like five six maybe. So him calling you a fit individual, uh, you know, yeah. But he says, uh, there's some coin in it and a, a recommendation to any one of the guilds. Uh, if, if you assist us with this, um, I, I would ask for no bloodshed, but I'm not going to be too disappointed if it ends up happening. Well, as far as the bloodshed is concerned, I don't know if I can help you there, but if you promise me entrance into the Mage's Guild... I will help. I, I can't promise you entrance, but I will give you a recommendation that, uh, especially since you're working with Linwood, Linwood would be able to get you in almost with a guarantee. But I, I would be willing to to write a letter of introduction and recommendation to any of the guilds that you wished. If you if you would assist us in in repelling these these borders. Uh, what's a recommendation? A, a rec, 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 uh, recommendation? What would? I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that people know you did a good job. Oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll totally help. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Uh, it appears that they will be boarding within uh, the next, uh, let's see, we'll go with, uh, within the next 15 to uh, 20 minutes. I- I'm worried for your mage friend. Once they find out that the, uh, the spell hasn't worked, I'm afraid they might take out their anger uh, on him. Don't, don't worry about him. I can help. I have magic powers. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, well, then uh, we'll let you take up a position wherever you want, and uh, as soon as they begin boarding, just repel them with uh, any force necessary. <laughs> cool. This sounds fun. Let's go. All right. Uh, so then you have about 10 or 15 minutes to strategize. Uh, your options are you can either wait smack dab in the middle of the deck where they're going to start boarding from and take the greatest numbers, but probably not the strongest opponents. You can try to jump back onto their boat and take them that way while trying to protect Lynn. Um, you would face tougher opponents, but not as many. Or you can guard the captain himself of the, uh, the crew. The captain would probably be the primary target of uh, some of their assassins, but not necessarily the strongest or the most numbered. But they most likely would have some pretty devious tactics. What would you like to do? On the one hand, protect Lynn. On the other hand, escape the captain. Well, the captain, whatever um, 
job you decide to take, he will move men to cover the other ones. He just doesn't have enough people to cover all three zones. Okay, so, like, if I just go, like, blaze the path back to the other ship to help Lynn, who is probably more important than he'll have people watching his back. Correct, yeah. He just doesn't have enough forces to evenly distribute them across the entire ship. I'm going to look at the captain, and I'm going to say, you got your best men. Keep them close. I'm taking the fight. You see him pull out a very antique saber, one that probably has not actually seen the bite of flesh in more than three decades, and he says, Hurrah! as he raises it in the air. Yeah, hurrah. I'll see you later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As you begin to uh, take your position, you are right on the edge of the deck. There's a large stack of crates right obviously on the end. Uh, that serve as a fantastic hiding spot. You can tell that they will likely be throwing down boards and ropes to swing across uh, right next to you um, to where you are currently hiding. So would you just kind of hunker down and wait there until, you know, people start flying across and then dive through? Um, yeah, I think he's probably going to, like, hide his presence as much as he possibly can because if people start coming over and see me, then they're going to be like, oh my god, no, but, you know, if I just, like, hunker down real quick and, like, try to catch it by surprise, I could probably get a few of them before they know what's going on. All right. So you hunker down. Uh, you are able to find right where you're at uh, about three hatchets that appear to be in a halfway busted barrel right there on the side. They appear to be throwing axes of some variety um, sitting right behind you. If you want to, you would be welcome to try and throw uh, those three throwing axes and try and cut people out of the sky. You know, either cut the ropes that they're swinging across or chuck them at some of the people that are coming towards you before you leap across. If you do that, um, you would lose the element of surprise on the ship itself, but you would take out uh, three of the enemies before they get a chance to, or potentially three of the enemies before they get a chance to board the ship. Or you can wait until all of the enemies are on the ship and then charge onto the enemy boat um, without drawing any attention to yourself. Which would you prefer? Um, you know what? I'm going to go for the captain on the evil ship. Like, I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. Like, cut the head off the snake and the body dies. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just trying to get over, back over, undetected at this point. All right. You wait about ten minutes or so, and, uh, well five minutes or so now, I guess, at this point. And you see that people start swinging across, boards go down, yelling and screaming happenings as as all of these people, you just count about ten individuals, rush across onto this very large barge. Uh, you see that about half of them are attacking the other crew, and about half of them are carrying boxes and whatnot back to the other ship. Uh, and all of a sudden, you hear a shout coming from the captain of the uh, vessel you used to be on. And he says, Lin, you traitorous bastard. You didn't put any of them to sleep. It's time that I put you to sleep. And you hear Lin shout, no! And what would you like to do? I'm just going to scream as loud as I can, giant. Ooh. And it's not going to be, like, I. he's, he's not going to understand me. But, you know, I'm just going to scream, like, you know, whatever I want. It's not like going to be anything like cool. 
you know, like, <laughs> says, I hate bullying. And, like, <laughs> you know, it's just like for dramatic effect, like, just to scare the guy. Awesome. Yes. It's just like when you read something in German, no matter what it is, it sounds absolutely <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> it always sounds angry. Why are they so bad? <laughs> uh, shout out to all of our German fans out there. We heart you very much. <laughs> okay, so you charge across the ship, bellowing this war cry. Go ahead and uh, roll an intimidation check, and then we will roll initiative. So go ahead and give me that intimidation check yet uh, first, and we'll see if any of them end up with disadvantage. Okay, well, that's going to be a 15. A 15, all right. And there are three enemies that you see. Uh, two of them have succumbed, so we're going to go ahead and call them the minions. So the two minions have succumbed to your battle roar and now have disadvantage on their initiative roll. Uh, the captain, though, is too caught up in his rage and uh, rolls initiative regularly. So go ahead and roll initiative. I got a 15. A 15. All right. The captain rolled a 19, uh, so he will definitely go first. The minions rolled a 5. So the turn order will... Oh, and then Lynn. Uh, Lynn rolled an 8. So it will go the captain, you, Lynn, and then the minions. So we will go ahead then and get started. The captain is going to go ahead and then uh, let me pull up his attack here. There we go. The captain is going to go ahead and swing down his sword at Lynn. And... Actually, that would normally hit, but Lynn... uh, Oh, no, wait, no. Lynn used all of his spell slots. So, uh, Lynn, unfortunately, takes that blade and deals to him seven points of slashing damage. And Lynn goes down to one knee. He is not dead, but that definitely did not do him any favors. We then move on to you. You would be about 20 feet away from uh, the captain, and there are two minions standing between you and the captain about 10 feet away. Okay. Well... Uh, Kor is just going to charge right towards the captain. Okay. Uh, pulls pulls his shield off his back and pulls the crystal out of his pocket, which turns into his uh, black-hilted, silver-bladed uh, bastard sword. Awesome. I think what he's going to do, he's going to cast Hexblade Curse on the captain. Fantastic. It does. Hold on. Let's see. Here it is. Explained Curse. Uh, it's a bonus action. I gain a bonus damage rolls against the cursed target. Bonus equals my proficiency bonus. Any attack roll I make on the cursed target is a critical hit, 19 or 20. If the cursed uh, target dies, I regain hit points equal to my warlock level plus my charisma modifier. So, I cast that on him, and... I'm just gonna swing at him with that long sword. Fantastic. Go ahead. Uh, 16? 16 would definitely hit. Okay. And that's gonna be 7 slashing damage on the captain. Alright. The captain definitely didn't enjoy that strike, but he isn't doing too bad. And as you passed by those two bandits uh, that were between you and the captain, you would take two opportunity attacks. Okay. Uh, the first one is a 12 to hit. Does not. And the second one was a 2, so that definitely won't hit. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you charge past them. That roaring bellow was definitely enough to throw them off guard uh, as uh, as you ro- as you ran past. Lynn, uh, it, it is now on then to Lynn's turn. Or was there anything else you were going to do on your turn? Nope, that's my full turn. All right. Lynn goes ahead and he stands up and uh, he kind of shaky on one foot, but you can see the relief in his eyes when, when he looks uh, at you standing there. And he says, time to throw you back to the sea, you old bastard. And he shoots a blast of blue energy. At the captain. Uh, it will hit, I think, plus four. Yep, so it hits the uh, captain's AC, and this bolt of freezing energy strikes him, dealing a... Dealing two points of cold damage to him, and he does appear to be slowed a little bit as frost begins to freeze his clothing and stuff around him. We then move on to the minions. The two minions then are going to attack you from the back. So they will gain advantage on this attack um, because they have flanking. Uh, The first one will miss. Highest was a 12 again. Second will hit. That was naturally an 18 um, plus 3. So then the uh, one bandit minion does to you three points of slashing damage. Uh, with his scimitar as he strikes uh, you across the back in one shallow cut. Okay, three points. Okay. We then move on uh, to you again. Oh, no, we then move back on to the captain, don't we? The captain lets out a roar of rage, and you see that the two minions behind him seem to be pumped up a little bit. They are uh, definitely going to do a lot more damage this turn, whether from threats or from promise of reward. He has done something to motivate them. We then move on to you, Kor. Okay. And they're all, like, right on me, right? Yes, you have two minions behind you, and then the captain is between you and Lin. How does Lin look? Lin's looking not great, but, um, he can probably take another hit like that from the captain. Um, We'll call him about bloodied. He's definitely got a hell of a gash across his chest, but uh, doesn't appear to be in any mortal danger yet. I'm just going to... You know what? It's warlock time. I'm going (laughs) to cast Eldritch Blast on the captain. Okay, go ahead and describe how you cast this spell. So, basically what happens is... uh, Core takes uh, that hit and everybody's turning on him and stuff like that, you know, and he uh, raises his sword arm uh, to bring it back down on the captain but the crystal starts glowing and instead of like making an attack with the sword, it just like glows much like it did in my backstory and just uh, when he swings the sword it just sends that bolt of energy right to it. Alright. Um, well, that's a 12. A 12. Not quite enough, unfortunately. As you go to launch that energy, he smacks your hand away, or smacks the blade just enough out of the way that it rockets past him. (laughs) You got lucky. Yes. Won't be. 
We then move on to both bandits. Both bandits are definitely pumped up and swing down at you. Uh, first one won't hit with a 13, at least I don't think. No. Okay. Second one. That one will hit, I think, uh, 15. No. 15 won't hit. Okay. No. Awesome. So you managed to get away, and you notice that they, uh, whatever focus energy that they had uh, slowly dissipates from them, and they kind of shrink down in size um, a little bit. So then we go on to... Oh, no, wait. It would have been uh, uh, Lin next. So then Lin goes ahead, and um, he's going to... He's going to, once again, he's just going to blast the captain. Actually, you know what? He's going to go ahead and drink a potion. He's like, you've got this core. And he pops a tube of uh, red liquid and tosses it back. And he is back now up to full health. So he is good to go. Uh, And then the bandits go ahead and do their round like normal. So we then move on to the captain again, I believe. Yep. And the captain is going to go ahead and in a... A fury strike down at you recklessly. That will definitely hit with a 17 plus 4. Yep. And he deals to you. Wrong dice type. It's a d8, not a d... Or a d10, not a d6. And does 8 points of slashing damage to you as he brings down that saber with a great arc. Okay. All right, we then move on to you, Kor. The captain is definitely not looking good. Uh, the two bandits behind you aren't do are haven't been touched yet, but they look like whips. Okay, so taking that hit, which was a fairly significant hit for Core, um, but also noticing that Lynn took uh, that health potion, Core is just like reeling back from that hit. He raises his sword in the ground and just jabs it into the deck of the ship, and he's casting Arms of Hadar. You invoke the power of Hadar, the Dark Hunger. Tendrils of dark energy erupt from you and batter all creatures within 10 feet of you. Each creature in that area must make a strength saving throw. Failed save, the target takes 2d6 necrotic damage and can't take reactions until its next turn. Successful save, they take half damage, uh, suffers no other effects. Um, Cast a spell at spell slot second or higher, damage increased by d6. So, if they fail, they take 3d6 damage and, half, and are restrained half as much on a success. Fantastic. So then we'll start with both bandits. They have plus zero to this. So that is a nine and a twelve. Both fail. And then the captain, uh, he has a plus two, so that is a seventeen. Okay. And Lynn... Lynn critted it. I don't know how the little bastard did it, but Lynn critted it. Yeah, Lynn. <laughs> All right. So go ahead and uh, do this damage. Roll that damage, that beautiful bead footage. Here we go. Uh, so that's going to be 11 necrotic damage total, or half as much. I kid you not. Both bandits have exactly 11 points of health. <laughs> These tentacles grip around the necks of the bandits, and all of a sudden, in a simultaneous sickening crack, both of them fall to the ground with their necks at weird, odd angles. And you said half as much on the captain? Yeah. Uh, the captain is barely standing. 
Like, there is not a closer to death that he could be. Lin is also not doing great, but he he's about where he was before he chugged the potion. But the captain is about as close to death as death can get. All right. Um, the minions are now dead. Oh, but it is Lin's turn. Lin is going to say, Oh, damn. I wish I had a little bit of warning with that. I'll go ahead and I'll finish this off. And he pulls from his uh, belt a dagger. And this dagger doesn't appear to be as much of a blade as it does a needle. And he jabs it into the neck of the captain. Let's see if this hits. It does. So he is able to jab this into the neck of the captain. And the captain needs to give a constitution saving throw. Ah, damn, he passes. Uh, So he starts to, like, droop. You see his eyes roll back into his head, and he starts to fall forward, but he slams his hand down in a roar and pushes himself back up. Uh, He still takes the dagger damage of two points, but is not down yet. The bastard yet lives, and it is on to his turn. He sweeps his blade across Lin for trying to jab him in the neck. And strikes Lin. No. Oh, shit. Lin takes 11 points of slashing damage. And and with a gurgle in his throat, he falls to the ground. We move on to you, Kor. You killed my friend. Prepare to die. And that's going to be... Uh, 17. 17 hits. How do you end this? So basically what happens, like, as this dude takes his sword and sweeps across Lin, Kor just grabs it by the back of his neck and turns to face him. And, like I said, you killed my friend. Prepare to die. And he raises his long sword up, and as this person is staring at him, eyes wide, mouth open, he just shoves a sword through the back of his foot. Oh, God. And then slashes. Oh, man. The captain falls to the ground with a thud and it is just gore fest. Would you like to very quickly search Lin or try and stabilize him? Uh, yeah. Immediately, he just, like, he looks at, he looks at the captain for a second, kind of catching his breath. Uh, drops a sword, looks to Lin, and it starts to just do whatever he can to stabilize him. He doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's trying everything. Alright, go ahead and give me a medicine check then. No, that's a two. No! A two. You aren't able to sta- stabilize him. Lin makes his first death saving throw and fails with a two as well. Do you want to search Lin's body or try again with a medicine check? <laughs> I'm gonna keep trying. Try again. Stay with me. Stay with me, Lin. Don't give up on me, Lin. That's a 12. A 12. Oh, you stabilize him. You are able to, in a, in a choking manner, you are able to to put enough pressure on his throat region that the bleeding eventually stops and his breathing becomes shallower but steady. And eventually, a uh, member of the crew from the other boat pours a health potion down his throat, having seen what happened and uh, is able to stabilize uh, Lin enough to drag him over to the other ship, and uh, you guys are able to seek refuge there. When Kor sees uh, his friendly uh, other ship crewmate 
pour the health potion down Lin's throat. He just kind of looks in his pocket, pulls out the health potion that Lin gave him. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Would you like to search the captain's body? Yes, I want to search his body. All right, you search the captain's body, and you don't see anything major of note. His scimitars, while, you know, very personalized, for lack of a better term, don't appear to be worth anything or anything major like that. But you so do... Yeah, yeah, they're nicked, they're chipped, and everything else. But you do manage to find on his hand there appears to be a ring. But this ring doesn't appear to be made of metal. It appears to be made of stone of some variety. Okay. Well, that seems interesting. I'll take it. I'll just put it in my backpack. All right. As you uh, put the ring in your backpack, uh, you kind of feel a tingle, almost as if there's some sort of magic about it. But um, being as you have other issues like Lynn barely hanging on alive, uh, you don't really stop to inspect it. Uh, the other crew members of the ship that was attacked tell you that uh, you're welcome to ride back with them. They basically came just to be intercepted by whatever vessel was attacking and then were to immediately return to Port City. The ship that is... W- the They have taken as many prisoners as they can, killed the rest, and they will burn the ship after moving all the supplies over so that this pirate vessel can never again attack another merchant ship. Uh, do you help them move boxes and that kind of stuff around and and then set back on sail uh, towards Port City? Yeah, I'll help them with whatever they need. All right. You uh, kind of as a, a cool down from that workout, uh, carry a couple of large crates and boxes around, help them shift things around, show them the smuggling compartments, and you guys are able to pick the vessel almost completely clean. Of the uh, whole crew that was with you when you first left um, Roseboro, there were only four survivors uh, that were chained up and thrown below deck, uh, as well as Lynn uh, survived, but he's obviously on the side of good along with you. And uh, you guys are able to start making your way back towards Port City. The last thing you see as you uh, head down that way before the ship turns is the bright flames and all sorts of strange multicolors from the different goods that were not able to be salvaged and the strange magics and other various things uh, changing the color of the fire. You see this kind of uh, aurora borealis of strange blues and greens and yellows shifting in the horizon as you set sail towards Port City. The next two weeks pass by very uneventfully. Lynn recovers. You're able to do some work and whatnot. Go ahead and roll me 2d6 and total them together. Uh, that's a 7. Seven. You gain seven more days of uh, training in water vehicles and navigation um, and use of water vehicles. So you're well on your way about, uh, I think it's 120 days to learn a new skill, I think. And uh, you guys are in the last stretch of Port City. What would you like to do the last week before actually hitting Port City? I'm going to go talk to Lynn. Alright, yeah, you've been able to talk to Lynn quite a bit. It took him more than a week for his uh, throat to fully heal. He was cut straight across through the vocal cords, so he was able to whisper, but not, you know, well enough to really be audible. So, uh, Lynn has recovered to the point where he's able to carry on normal conversation. What would you talk to him about? Well, just basically, like, you know, as he said, like, I've had chances to talk to him, 
over these past few weeks, but I think this is like the first time where actually like goes up and says, Hey, thanks for helping. Thanks for not, you know, killing these people. You know, thanks for helping. Yeah. He, he kind of blushes a little bit. He's like, Oh, it's not a problem at all. I'm, I'm just glad there was somebody there to help me. I wouldn't have made it out of there alive if, if you hadn't have been there to, to help me out. So thank you in return. And I would be more than happy to, to repay the favor and introduce you to uh, the Mages Guild if you wanted. And I, I, I'm sure the captain would write a recommendation for you. I think I remember hearing something about that. Uh, so, so we are grateful for your assistance as well. Then, look, you don't tell me anything, my friend. I would have been just as dead without your help. Grateful for you being in the right place at the right time, for me being in the right place at the right time. That would put a stop to these damn pirates. Oh well, thank you very much. There's, there's got to be something I can do to help you. Any any strange magic items you may have picked up, or a potion you need brewed, or or strange and forbidden knowledge that I could answer. There's got to be something I can do to help you out. Well, actually, I I did get this. Uh, stowed ring off of the pirate captain. I pull it out of my bag and I show it to him. Oh, this appears to be something very strange indeed. Uh, just give me just a moment, and he pulls out that uh, that rod again that you saw him use the last time, and he begins channeling his energy into it. You have the ring of the fist. You are proficient in unarmed strikes, and they do 1d6 of damage. Is that bludgeoning? Correct, yes. Okay. Cool. Alright, he says, oh, that, that could definitely be, uh, that could definitely come in handy if, uh, you ever end up without a weapon or, or in the occasional tavern brawl. <laughs> and he kind of elbows you and you barely feel the elbow, you know, as he's doing it. I, I kind of laugh with, like, ha, ha, ha. I give him the slap on the back that's once again just a little too hard. Yeah, he, he falls forward and, and you see him visibly wince. But he's like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm used to it. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm so big. <laughs> he he says, uh, yeah, I, I can tell you were able to hit both shoulders with that one strike. Uh, I suppose that's, you know, Lynn, I'm not used to being around other people. Not quite sure on the manners, but I'm glad to call you a friend. Well, if you ever need to find me, come, just look me up. I'll be somewhere near the docks or in the Mages Guild, and if I'm not either a place, they can take a message for me there. And as a matter of fact, here you go. And you see, he hands you a rolled-up scroll of parchment, um, and it appears to have some sort of wax symbol on it, and the wax symbol appears to be a bird, but this bird has a, a, a water droplet on the side of it. He says, this is my family seal. Uh, the Mages Guild will know it automatically. Just take it to them, and this will serve as your recommendation to get in. They, they'll they give you shelter for the first week that you're there on my tab if you need it. Uh, if you decide to join, you're welcome to. If not, there are a bunch of other guilds there that are just as wonderful. I would suggest that you join one, but, you know, y- you are your own person. You can make your own decisions. But if you do end up joining the Mages Guild, look me up, and I would be more than happy to help you out again. Thank you very much, my friend. time. And then, uh, after you get done with that, you hear that they start calling that land is ahead! La- or land a ho! And you see, as you come up onto the deck, the two giant lighthouses. 
um, that are lights, grasps, lighthouses. And you begin pulling into the bay that leads up to Port City. As you get up onto the deck um, and you're taking in the sight of this sprawling metropolis, uh, you are able to get your recommendation from the captain and he uh, once again kind of salutes you with his very worn saber and says, Good luck, my friend. I wish you well. And you approach Port City on the 23rd of planting. So, is there anything else you'd like to do or say last minute before we wrap this up? Um, in-game? No. I think that's... Alright. Thank you very, very much, Will. This was a blast, and I'm glad to have you on. Uh, it's It's been a ton of fun, and I love that we are finally able to get Arcanum teased. Even the tiny bit that we did tease it, we were able to get Arcanum kind of worked into here, and it can be a place that you can eventually come back to and hopefully be able to do something about your family situation. Yeah, well, you know, we'll uh, we'll see how the dice roll and how things play out. Even though the odds may not be in my favor, or it is still just as determined. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right, we will go ahead and say goodbye here. All right, thanks, Bob. Yep, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Chaos Plan. We really hope that you enjoyed it, and since we are doing group games now, we are going to very quickly start getting episodes out there on a regular basis. If you want to take part, please visit Patreon, donate, and you can get in on this guaranteed. We already have the next batch of players getting ready to go for the next game, and we're already looking at the different DMs that are going to be taking part. Both Braden and Mike have committed to doing games so far. So if you want to get in on that action, please just join our Patreon. Thank you, and we hope to see you next game.